This is So What Does Judaism Say About? We discuss all kinds of interesting topics about life and how Judaism approaches them. Today we're going to talk about what does Judaism have to say about tzedakah, charity. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me as always is the astute Rabbi Mayor Beer. Mayor Beer, how you doing? Fantastic. That is great news. Let's talk about money. Yeah. <laughs> as it says in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, those strange little green pieces of paper, which is the source of all tension in humanity. Yeah, now it's little ones and zeros, but same thing. Yeah. I, I, st- I still think there's a place for cold hard cash. People still appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. There's money. Um, but yeah, so charity is, uh, you know, one of these pillars of, of you know, kind of any person with a connection to Judaism understands the concept of charity. It's a really strong part of our culture, the, the concept of giving, of caring, of, of communal participation. But is there any more depth to it? You know, I kind of always contrast this. There's a, there's a, um, there's a story I heard. There was a, uh, Rev, if, I believe, if I remember correctly, his first name was Rev Yosef Yitzhak Kahanaman, known as the Panavaj Rav. Uh, this is a person who was a very prominent figure in pre-World War II Europe, ended up in Israel after the war, and was one of the primary builders of Torah institutions uh, in Israel post-World War II. And he was a, he, he was a, spent a lot of his time raising funds for his, you know, his yeshivas, his schools, his building campaigns. So much so that one of the, uh, th- there was another well-known rabbi who, was, who had a sharp sense of humor who was asked if he believes there's, you know, there's life on the moon. He said, no. And he was asked, you know, you know, what was the basis for that, 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 uh, you know, that statement? He said, because if there was, I'm sure the pun of his would have gone there to collect money. <laughs> so as I heard it, there was an incident once with the pun of his who, uh, he meets this fellow Jewish person who lives in Switzerland or some other place in Europe, who was a Holocaust survivor and was extremely wealthy. And, um, he, he, you know, he approached him for a donation and he said, no, he said, I, uh, I went through the Holocaust. I, I, I'm upset at God. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give charity. So the Panavish Rav asked him. He said, "Like, do you feel totally disconnected from Judaism? That like you don't want to give money?" He's like, "No, no, no. I'm going to give money. But I, but this is my plan. I'm a little upset at God, but I know I do need to give charity. So I, I have a game. I'm going to game the system. I uh, I'm going to enjoy all my money in my life, and whatever's left over after I pass away, uh, I'm I'm writing in my will to be used as Bible study uh, in Israel. So I'm going to get the merit of charity." But I'm not going to have to actually pay anything for it. Turns out the the, uh, the the executor of his will was a devout Catholic and called up the Catholic Church and said, by the way, if you want to start a Bible study institute in Israel, i got a lot of money for you. So all of his money was used to create a Catholic Bible center. Oh, that's awful. In Israel. That's terrible. It was a Holocaust survivor. It's horrible. So, well, you got to get the follow-up to the story. So the Pana Vizharov was asked, like, did he feel bad about what happened? He's like, let me tell you the truth. Giving charity is a merit. You can't game the system. If you want to participate, if you want to give, if you care about it, God will give you the ability to give. And if you don't, you're not going to be able to, like, fool the system. Right. It, it just doesn't work that way. Right. Meaning, meaning it's got to come from you in a real way or it's not really giving. Exactly. And this is a quote from the Talmud. The Talmud in Tract Above the Basra on page 9b writes, um, anybody who runs after charity, God will give him the ability to give charity. And then the Talmud quotes a statement from Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak that if a person wants to give charity, God will set up that people that you know, can use the charity will be the ones to ask him for it. But if a person is kind of just trying to soothe his conscience or, or, or get this off his back, 
the people he may end up giving charity either don't really want it, don't really need it. You know, like his money won't be that effective. So wow. this is kind of an extreme example so of that. It's built into the system a little bit. Built into the system is that the person giving the charity is not kind of, you know, paying us taxes. It's something that you should be passionate about. You should forge a relationship with that which you're giving the charity to. You should care about it. Even though, I mean, this word, you know, we've been saying charity, I think we should switch over. This word tzedakah, everybody knows this word. It comes from the word tzedek. Let's talk a little bit about that word. What, what, is, what is happening? Why is, where does that word come from? Why is that the word that we associate with giving our money away? So a, a, tzedek means justice. A tzedek is a just person. This is like the right thing to do. In the sense that it's not what we'll call extra credit. And when we say charity, we don't mean any specific amount. But it means to give of what you can to connect to causes that need it. Right, and that you're pa- and that to your point that what you're passionate about. Yeah, sure. the The Talmud writes in Tractate Sukkah on page forty nine b that ain't stuck a mishtalamus. The like the reward for charity is paid according to how much kindness or consideration is in that. So there's a a great Jewish philosopher, uh, Rav Dessler, writes that a person should feel like he's giving up of himself. The Talmud writes. Back to this uh, attractive Bava Basra uh, on page 9a, that giving charity is similar to offering a sacrifice in the sense that you're, you're, you've, you've earned money, you've paid with your time, with your efforts, with your energy, you've devoted parts of yourself to earning money. By giving that to charity, you're actually giving of yourself to a cause. And you should view it that way. It's not like, oh, I have so much money, I don't know what to do with it, here's charity. No, I worked hard for this. I'm giving my hard-earned money to this because I care about it, because I'm literally creating a relationship with that which I'm giving the money to. Right, and, and, and the sociologists and psychologists point out that you know as we, as we enter the world and, and everybody needs to make a living and make money, um, the more money you make, we all know that your happiness doesn't necessarily go up. You make $1 million or $10 million, it's actually very quite marginal, the amount of happiness you, you perceive, unless, and it says, the study says, if you give it away, that actually increases your happiness. Well, why is that? Why, do, why would that happen spiritually? Because you're, I think, based on this thought, you're putting more of yourself into something. The more of yourself that's doing good things, the happier you're going to be. You know, if you see that through your own efforts, you're creating all sorts of positive positivity in the world, how could that not make you happy? Wow. So it's not just like cutting a check. It's, it's literally as if it was part of you and you, you're able to invest that part of you as a resource. Like you have two arms. It's like you have three arms because now your third arm is over here in the tzedakah that you gave, investing and earning interest and doing wonderful things over there for you. Sure. And, and this comparison to a relationship is, I think, really seen in a statement the Talmud writes. The Talmud says, adam What can a person do to have wonderful children? The Talmud lists two examples. Either yefazer of laniyim, give money to charity. The other opinion of the Talmud, and these things are clearly, from my understanding, mirroring each other, a person should satisfy his wife intimately. Now, what in the world is the connection between the two? Wait, run that back again here. The Talmud says, two two statements, how a person should have, like, good kids. Number one, either give charity. Number two, a person should satisfy his wife intimately. Hmm. Meaning, Hmm. the second example is a person that is considerate in the most personal ways to a spouse or her spouse. If you're going to a person that is going to have the sensitivity to, to, to meet the needs and desires of a partner, you really care about a person. You really know them well. Similarly, if a person is to give charity in the same way, as we mentioned for the statement, 
from that line of the Talmud and Tractate Sukkah, according to the kindness in the charity. Like, no, this I earned this money. I could I could have a, you know, I could buy something nice with it, but I'm giving it to charity because I really care about this. It's a relationship I have with the that which I'm giving the charity to. So the, so to speak, spiritual reward is you're able to produce good children. Wow. And that certainly is a product of a person that is empathetic, that is that is a giver, right? You want children that are givers, not takers. Right. And you create that by being a giver. Beautiful. The Talmud says that um, this is a, teachment, a teaching from Rabbi Meir. The Talmud has a similar uh, discussion with uh, Rabbi Akiva that if God wanted people to be poor, why are we... This is like a question that, you know, uh, the Talmud says that 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 a, a certain Roman, no, a Roman nobleman asked Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Meir has this, you know, kind of asked this question for himself that like theologically, philosophically, if God created poor people and he, he could have made them rich. He, meaning God can do anything. So right. so if God can do anything, why are we messing around with exactly. God's resources, so to speak? And, and well, the answer is, Rabbi Meir says, is to save us from hell. <laughs> meaning... By creating this idea of there, of there being a relationship, by there being a need for us to give to people, those who that have the means to give it, by creating that relationship, that is creating the sensitivity, the altruistic nature in people. That's a dynamic that exists in the world. We need donors. We don't just need, you know, people creating educational institutions, uh, soup kitchens, uh, you know, health, um, you know, uh, medical advocacy groups, all these things that society could benefit from. But we need donors to back that up. We now there is now more opportunity to care. Because not only are people doing the direct frontline work, but the people backing them up, the other half of that relationship. That creates more, so to speak, of this you know, sharp line of the Talmud, ways to avoid hell because altruistic good people you know, don't need to go through that spiritual cleansing process. Shout out to our podcast on hell. Um, right. But in any case, we see that charity is more than just like a responsibility of the religious. It's actually a way to really become a person that lives outside of yourself. And so is that also then what makes it so difficult to give? Sometimes, yeah, I think you're right. You know, it, it, it really is viewed, especially in our culture we have today, our things are so much a part of us. We have so much also, but it's, it's, it's almost this cultural divide. I mean, I, I know when you interact with people that are from old school Europe, like this is built into the culture. You know, you meet Hungarians, whatever it is. You know, there's always the stereotypes in our circles about who are like, who, who give the big checks. It's like, it, it seems to be that there's definitely a culture of like, amounts that we spend on certain things, luxuries, whatever it is for ourselves, and then having a hard time sort of parting with that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and because it's like this, perhaps because in our culture it has these like these deep meanings, people sometimes have a hard time with that, like creating those deep positive feelings that would cause a person to want to give charity. Right. But the Talmud takes us really far. The Talmud teaches, this is a statement from Rav Papa, that a person doesn't give charity, it's equated with idol worship. Like, what, what does that mean? So the Maharal explains that, from a Jewish perspective, the difference, the difference between worshiping God and worshiping a piece of stone, a little statue, is God is a giver. God can give. The statue can give nothing. If you're not a charitable person, you are, you, you are matched up with this idol that doesn't give anything, doesn't produce anything. You're, sh- you're sharing that value system. Exactly. You're emulating an idol, a piece of stone, that is worship that returns nothing in part. Whereas if you're going to be godly, you're going to be that giver. You know, God is the, from the Jewish perspective, the ultimate source of, 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 of giving, of, of doing good for others. Then you're going to be by, by nature a charitable person. There is, um, there's another powerful teaching the Maral writes in, in a book uh, called Nesivas Olam. The Talmud and Tractic Subos 
uh, records a story where Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai met the, um, and this is after Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans, met the daughter of a formerly extraordinarily wealthy man. And she was barely had enough money to, you know, to clothe herself. Uh, and she's picking through the garbage for food. And, you know, he kind of had a start of this discussion with her, like, you know, what happened? And, and she, she admitted that her family had not been particularly charitable. And, you know, he, he, he said that, that the, the morale explains that the, the reason why wealth from a spiritual angle can be sustained by charitable giving is because if you view wealth as a spring, like, so to speak, that you're a wealthy person, God gave you these resources, and you allow those resources to flow like a spring is flowing out of the ground, then that will continue to flow properly, and the water will be fresh. Oh, a spring of water. I was thinking like a compressed metal spring <laughs> oh, no, that no, bounces. No. Yeah. I see, I see. Natural, natural, natural spring, water. spring water. Poland spring water. Oh, very yeah, nice. Which is not from Poland. Right, no, it's not. It's from Vermont? Maine, I think, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> Somehow Poland sounds more exotic than Maine. Also sounds terrible, <laughs> now that you mention it, but back to you. We have to call up their marketing uh, you know, division. But in any case, the, the concept, and this is the way a wealthy person should look at themselves, they've been, given, they've been given resources by God, and by allowing that to flow through themselves, that flow will continue in a healthy way. If you stop up that spring of water, the water will be stagnant and won't, and won't be fresh. Right. But if you keep it flowing, right. if you recognize that you're a channel, for you know, a divinely created channel for resources, and you allow that to, to just kind of go through to good places, it doesn't mean you, you can't enjoy some of it yourself. That's certainly part of it. Right. But but primarily you view you view your resources as an opportunity to create good. I mean, the, the, spiritually that will keep the tap flowing. You're making me think of there's two bodies of water in Israel. There's the Kinneret that connects to the Jordan River, and then we have the Dead Sea. It's called the Dead Sea. Why? It it's the lowest point on Earth, and it doesn't flow anywhere. So it's just sitting there collecting salt deposits upon salt deposits upon salt deposits, and it can't give anywhere, and therefore nothing can live in there. I like swimming there because there's no sharks, guaranteed. <laughs> you don't like so sharks? I, I like that. I, I never seen a shark really, but like for some reason it just still gets to me. I like it, and then, oh, there's no sharks here, nothing here. But but really, it can't give. It can't. It can't express itself. That's that the Dead Sea, and to your point, that's what makes it dead. That's what makes it dead. So th- does this idea of tzedakah? come from the idea that we have to be givers, meaning there's lots of ways I can give. I can give with my time. I can give with my words. I can be I can be a kind person. This seems like a very specific way the Torah is asking us to give. Yeah, no, I I think I think you're 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 saying something very accurate that giving can be done in many ways, right? A poor person can give charity as well. You know, if if you're smiling at someone and can, you know, making their day a little better, saying giving a little positive statement to somebody that's a little down, that's and, an act of giving. And, and and even a poor person, I mean, I'm sure there's levels where you were just like you know the tax bracket. You you lock into certain areas, but the Torah doesn't tell you to avoid luxuries if you have a lot of money. Yeah, it's sure. Just, it's, yeah. it's percentages. Generally speaking, the the halacha caps charity at twenty percent. You shouldn't be giving more than that, even if you're a multi billionaire. Yeah. Well, you know, at a certain point, it becomes a, like you have more money than you know what to do with. You could give more, but generally speaking, even for wealthy people, you should use most of the money for yourself. But the idea of, of wanting to give is, is, some, is, is, is like more fundamental than the number you actually give. And as we mentioned before, this is a statement from the Talmud. The Talmud says that God will, if people don't really want to give, but, you know, kind of societal pressure forces them to give. All my friends have their names on buildings. I've got to get my name on some buildings also. Often those, that money won't end up in, 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 in particularly great places. The, um, the, the Nitziv really attributes this to a lesson found in the language of the Torah. The Torah describes the burning of the incense in the tabernacle in the temple. And the Torah says when Aaron, when Aaron lights the candles in the evening, he should burn the katoras. 
Now, the first time the Torah was actually lit was in the morning. Yet the Torah seems to describe the first time the Torah was lit was in the evening. So he says the following. There's clearly an intersect between incense and the lighting of the menorah. The lighting of the menorah represents wisdom, represents scholars. The incense represents the community. The incense is comprised of a number of ingredients, even some which don't smell that great. The, the, uh, the Talmud in, um, in Tractate Crisis says that the symbolism of, the, of, of that is that all parts of the Jewish community can come together to help and create its most beautiful parts. So the Tzib says that the intersect between these two things is community backing is what creates things like scholars. Who is going to create educational institutions if we don't have financial backers? And that's going to come from the broader community, indicated by the Ketoros, by the incense, comprised of all these ingredients. Now, he says that ultimately, if a person is, is giving money to an educational institution, you're, you're giving the money for the product that it will produce. But that product could take 10 years. It could take 20 years for a scholar to make it to being something that is of actual value to the community. So when you're giving your money, you don't see things there yet. And how do you know that your money is actually going to produce something that will ultimately be of, the, of, of objective value? And you don't. But he says precisely this is the Torah's point, that you give in the evening, so to speak, before the light comes up, because you know that if you give with pure motives, eventually that will culminate in that proper you know, lighting uh, uh, illumination that, 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 that will eventually arise from the money you give. It's, it's an investment. Exactly. But what is to say that your investment is going to be a good investment or a bad investment? The purity of motive. Purity of motive. Meaning, you, meaning what happens to it really isn't up to you anyway. Exactly. You can give your money to an, an organization that squanders it. You know, there's, there's, some, there's some what we'll call nonprofit organizations that have really, really high overhead costs. You know, there's, there's five people in an organization burning through a lot of money doing very little and not much of that money actually produces anything. And those organizations that are lean, that are tight, that really just, you know, on, on, on a shoestring budget. Pumping it into the constituents or create an enormous amount of value to whatever right. community they're servicing. Right. And who's to say that your money is going to have that good investment? The only thing you can do is mean for the best. And that initiative says will produce the best results. And I'll, I'll end off with one with one thought which kind of ties us all together. The the Talmud writes, this is in Tractate Psachim on page 8, that quotes a Brisa that if somebody says that I'm giving this Sela this amount of money for tzedakah, for charity, so that my son will live. The person, unfortunately, has a sick child and gives money so that their son will have health. Now, certainly... The, the you know one should not say that I if if God forbid the the son or the child passes away that I want the money back, but one is allowed to give money, so that will give him a direct benefit. And the Talmud says if a person says such a thing, Hariz at Sadik Omer, he's a completely righteous person, completely Saka, right. completely Sadek. righteous. Now, what does that mean? Like, shouldn't you just give it for the sake of the of of the institution or or, or the or the or whatever the charity is going to affect? Like, conditionally given Saka doesn't seem to be a, very, a some somebody we should call a perfectly righteous person. And yet we see the Talmud does in Talmud fact says say you that. can. So the Archlaner explains that the, the, the explanation behind this is, is stuck is literally creating. It's giving life to something. So by design, if you want more life so that you can live and create more spirituality, you're, you're essentially just saying that I want that stuck to reflect on my own self. I have a, a, a wonderful child and the, the child is, 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 is God forbid, not, not, you know, not doing well uh, in, in the health department. 
I want life for my child, but I'm creating life. I'm actually creating real energy in this world with my charity giving. I'd like that to reflect on myself. Isn't that a passage that tzedakah hatzil menamavis? Yes, exactly. So having that attitude. Which means that the giving of tzedakah, the righteous giving. Remember, you have to give this money. This is not a nice thing to do. It is incumbent upon us to give this money away, right? That it will save you from death. Right. So if, if you're creating life and you're saying, God, look, I'm creating life. Can you give me more life? That yeah. in no way is, 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 you know, failing to see the value of tzedakah. It's really just wanting that tzedakah to come full course to yourself. Right. And that is something which is perfectly okay. Now, I wouldn't say that, oh, by the way, if the surgery isn't successful, the money has to come back because then you're, then you're making it a kind of a self-absorbed thing. But if you're saying, I want there to be some sort of spiritual boost to whatever life, whatever physical abilities I want myself and my family to have through the charity, that's perfectly acceptable because that is the essence of what charity is. And, wh and why does the Torah cap it at 20%? And is there a minimum that, that the Torah so the, there is there is an ideal number that a person should try not to give less than 10%. Of what? Of, of, uh, of their income to po charity. Post-tax, pre-tax? Presumably post-tax. Housing expenses, milk expenses. How do you figure this out? Okay, this, 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 is, this is something that, you know, if you're serious, one should sit down with their rabbi and discuss this. You know, there, there, are, there are technical rules. But, you know, we do have a broad range that the Shulchan Aruch writes that giving less than 10% of your assets, assume that you can, to charity is, is not, you know, it's not ideal. 20% so, is kind of that, like, normative max. But that's a range that a person should see. And, and you know, look, there are robust, you know, far-reaching organizations throughout the Jewish world which are there because of generous donors. Right. So there are certainly many people that have taken this call, recognized the value, and created an enormous amount, uh, have contributed enormously to our broad Jewish community f through their charitable giving. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the fact that we look at this idea as righteousness, I mean, that, that is the right thing to do, not something that is the nice thing to do, but the right thing to do really says it all. It's a very special idea. Until next time.